Welcome to the Mumbrella Podcast, brought to you from the studios of CBS Interactive. I'm Tim Burrows. With me today, Mumbrella Deputy Editor Camille Alicon. Hello. Our resident pundit Scott Rohde of House Party PR. Hey, Tim. And this week's guest, Adobe's Global Marketing President, Anna Lunas. Hello. Who will be talking digital with in a moment. Also today, the PR who got busted hiring actors for a news story. Ads on the ABC's Australian story, thanks to YouTube. Oops. FBI Radio's Ask Richard campaign wins big at the Amy Awards. Plus, a rare win for 10 in the TV ratings. And finally, we can complain about free-to-air TV online. So, we start today's podcast with uh, Anne Lunas. and welcome along. Now, before we chat further, then... Probably what's maybe best is to get straight what products we would actually know Adobe for. So Adobe uh, makes photos like Photoshop and Flash technology, which runs about 85% of the video on the web. We make Acrobat, so any PDF you might receive is an Adobe product. So um, life would be fairly different inside an advertising agency without those products, probably. It'd be pretty hard to make advertising without our products or publishing or movies or any other type of media. And what brings you to Australia? I'm here to talk to you. Well, it, was good of, it was good of you to come. Thank you. You're very welcome. No, I'm here. Uh, Australia is our biggest market in the Asia-Pacific region. I've never been here. And so uh, meeting employees, meeting customers. Yesterday I uh, went to a fabulous school called the Arthur Phillip High School. And uh, as you know, New South Wales is giving every single student a netbook computer loaded with all types of software. So we visited this school and talked to the kids about what they're doing with their netbook. Books, and it was incredibly inspiring to see grade nine kids uh, creating movies, uh, creating photographs, and just generally really uh, enjoying technology. Okay, well, let's establish your marketing credentials. Uh, back in uh, 97, you were named one of the top 25 young women to watch by Advertising Age. Um, and in 2000, you were elected to um, the American Advertising Federation's Hall of Achievement. So clearly, um, back in 97, they, uh, they, 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 they spotted you quite early on. And I don't know what's happened since. But, <laughs> but you made the Hall of Achievement. <laughs> I did. I did. So um, I uh, started out in uh, 1985 at Intel. I'm from New York City, moved to Silicon Valley. Uh, right place, right time. Started at Intel at a, at a time when the PC industry was really just starting to take off. And quite a hard thing to market to the world, I guess. Well, we uh, I worked under a gentleman named Dennis Carter, who worked for the famous Andy Grove, and we were given a charter to try and see whether we could market microprocessors, which at the time seemed like the most ridiculous idea ever. And this became the famous Intel Inside And it did. Campaign. So I was privileged to work uh, on the development of the Intel Inside program, the development of microprocessor brands like Pentium, and um, we created a huge brand, one of the top ten brands now in the world. And what was the strategy? The strategy was to get people to request a specific type of microprocessor inside a PC. And the campaign, the original idea was that we were the computer inside. So the brains of the computer were as important as the manufacturer's brand. Okay, well, um, it's an opportunity too good to miss because uh, the next the next generation of Creative Suite comes along very soon. Um, and, you know, I'm glad that we can give you this opportunity to tell us all about it. <laughs> 
Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, we can't talk about unannounced products. I can I can tell you that it is coming very soon. It's going to be super cool. Lots of new features, lots of new capabilities. We'll also be uh, integrating in some Omniture technology. We recently uh, acquired Omniture, which is an analytics and optimization company. So lots of very exciting things to look forward to. Now, the thing that strikes me about PDFs, for instance, is... Wouldn't they be amazing if you could do a bit more with them, like play video, for instance? Is that the sort of thing that we'll we'll, we'll see when this launches? Uh, not uh, not able to talk about those types of things. I think um, in general, PDFs are becoming more and more capable, and we do have a capability called PDF Portfolio, where you can uh, integrate different types of media into a PDF. So you can integrate flash video into a PDF. There are multiple different um, assets that can be integrated in. It's it's a pretty um, innovative way to look at PDF. I, I, I guess one of the reasons for asking, sort of wearing my journalist hat, is that thing of, you know, people sometimes describe PDFs as, you know, uh, online publishing for old style print publishers who don't quite get the web because it doesn't have that same level of interactivity. I mean, is, is that something that you, regardless of what the product's got, something that the market wants, do you think? So, um, again, this idea of PDF portfolios, I would encourage you to take a look at that because it really does combine a lot of the different interactive mechanisms into one. Um, one single PDF. But there are actually a lot of features in PDF that do um, enable you to have some interactivity um, and not just have the security and reliability of what people and think people about. And people just don't use them. Exactly. I guess. Yeah, so, and I guess the other issue is just the sheer time and effort that goes in creating these things as well. It doesn't really take that long. I've become a bit of an expert myself. <laughs> I can maybe give you a little primer after this well, interview. Well, very kind. Thank you very much. Now, to this week's events, it's been a big week for social media. Now, our most commented story of the week on Umbrella was the launch of a new organization called Women in Social Media. It was one of several different organizations which, which all had their social media events on the same night. Now, our much commented on story about the launch of Women in Social Media, who... who Basically, the angle of that one was um, uh, self-appointed media gurus not wanted. So as a self-appointed media guru, you were first to comment on that <laughs> story, Scott. Okay, first um, I'm not a self-appointed yeah, media guru. Yeah, I mean, uh, firstly, the, the, the central point of debate was the, the, this question about whether there needs to be a separate space for women working yeah. in social media. I think my, I mean, my, my comment, which took me about an hour to craft, so I'm just winging this one right now, um, was basically that... I don't think that, so, that social media women is needed, but that's from a personal point of view because um, <laughs> in my industry, it seems that women outnumber me at the moment. Um, so, why, you know, why should uh, social media to me or, or social media and the larger scale of it is all about conversation, it's all about equality, it's all about everybody helping each other out. And, it's about, um, and I just don't understand when you create a group that segregates half the population, what's the point of it? You, you're seeing, to me, it's just missing the point. I guess one of the questions I had was Social Media Club Sydney when I'd look around in the room, I'd, I'd maybe guess 60% women. Yeah. Um, similarly, the Digital Citizens, which also launched on the Monday 60, night. 60, 65% yes. again. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, Anne, is there a place for that sort of organisation, do you think? I'm totally, would, you, would you join? Would I'm you sign totally up for... perplexed by this, I have to tell you. I, I really don't understand it. I mean, I am a woman. I can't imagine joining a society like this. It's the most egalitarian way to comment on what's going on, and, and I don't see it as a gender issue at all. Camille? I mean, I guess in terms of the 50, uh, the 40, 60 splits in, in these events, what kind of roles do they have within the industry? Uh, so, for example, 
Um, in London, there's a group called Wackle that was set up in 1928, still running. It's for women in advertising and communications, London. And, you know, they've basically, ironically enough, it was set up by men in advertising to promote women. But now, <laughs> obviously, patronizing. No, it is, yeah. <laughs> but in public events, they actually invite male guests, they welcome them. You know, they mm. have been trying to be progressive. And these are women in, in power within their industries. And so from that perspective, I can see it. But, but this is a much smaller niche, it's more specific. So, in this instance, I probably wouldn't agree. Perhaps in the case of Wackle, I can see the points. I suppose the one question I'd, I'd raise is looking at the, um, the, the tweet picks from the event, clearly there was a pretty good turnout. There was a bit of a, a, a tweet stream that seemed quite positive from it. So, so arguably there must, be, there must be some sort of need or desire for that. Is it women who are working in social media or women who women are tweeting? So, I, think, I think women who want to, women who are working in it, maybe women who want to get into the industry. Um, and look, you know, I know the girls who are um, launching it, and you know they're, they're they're great people. And if they want to do it, and you know it's up to them. And if women want to go along and they feel empowered by it, then that's great. You know, but as a personal point of view, then I find it quite discriminatory. Um, I think that the moment you segregate half the population, then you know you're, especially in social media, where it's just about conversation, and it's about it doesn't matter who you're talking to, man or woman. It shouldn't be about that. Okay, well, same night, Digital Citizens, which is, you're one of the members of the organising committee of, of that. I, I guess the key debate was about sensible tweeting. Hmm. Um, now, I kind of went, when I went along, I actually expected to hear far more kind of, for want of a better word, moaning from some of the panel on, we can't say whatever we want. Whereas pretty much the tone from all of the panel was actually... You know, particularly from Sam North, Mogul VPR, yeah. was very much, you know, don't think to yourself that you once had the right of freedom to say whatever you wanted about your clients or your employer. You didn't unless you were around the dinner table. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the moment you put something into the, 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 the online, you know, space, people can see it, and people, no matter what happened, will judge you on that. You've got future employees, will, uh, future employers will look at what you've said. You know, they might deny that they do, but they will go look at what's been said by you, and, you know, whatever you see online is, is, is captured in time, I suppose. But Especially I suppose thanks the, to Google. Um, maybe the, 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 the tone that sort of came through and maybe came through from one or two of the questions as well is just this, this idea that it's actually a bit sad that, you know, you, you might be relatively junior in a PR agency, you may comment on something you've seen in the newspaper, and because you criticise the journalist and you work in a PR agency... Maybe you can't anymore. Um, so you've lost that freedom. Look, I think, I think you ha that freedom was never there unless you spoke to your friends. I mean, we all know what rumours happen. You could say something to your friend, they tell another person, tell another person. The journalist finds out what's been said. So it's just one of those things. You've never had that. It's just more open now and more. It, it can get back to the person quicker. So it should all be with common sense. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still tweet a lot of crap half the time, but and I run an agency, but I still. I, there's still like brands that I don't bag out that kind of stuff. There are brands that I do bag out because I've had bad customer service or something, but and it's never going to stop me from being who I am. But I think that you still need to put common sense on and look about what the future implications of what you say online are. And Scott sounds like a horror employee. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what would it, what's what, what's Adobe's uh, policy? 
So we're actually just forming our policies. And uh, being a technology company, we have a lot of people who are very engaged in tweeting, in blogging, um, in Facebooking. And, uh, you know, our feeling is that we should enable our employees to speak freely on issues. Now, you do need to have some guidelines. And so we do um, give guidelines on messaging. We do give guidelines certainly on talking about unannounced products and such. But what we find is there's an authenticity that you can have from your employees speaking that at the kind of corporate level is just not really possible. And so we want and encourage our employees to be able to speak out and comment on our products as well as issues that are occurring in the industry. And would they, you, be, they become ambassadors for your for our products. They absolutely do. And again, I think this genuineness and this authenticity is really the benefit to the company. Hmm. Camille, where, where, where would you draw the line between the, the public and the private? Well, no, I think just um, we've kind of reached a stage now where it's, you know, it's a reality and companies do need to, as um, you said, and draw up guidelines. And for me, probably even an actual training uh, day or an hour and actually speak to staff verbally with someone, with an actual expert, bringing them into a company and then having that set um, guidelines for the staff to adhere to. Okay. Um, now, the other thing that uh, went on at Digital Citizens, the other coming of age for social media, was um, Sydney had its first swarm, <laughs> which is um, a four-square thing, which, um, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm more of a junior to four-square than you are, Scott, it's where um, 50 four-square um, users all uh, check in at the same venue at the same yes, time. Yes, yes. Um, because we had about, I think we had, we had 148, 150 people at the event. So they go one third of the people at the event were using Foursquare, which was quite impressive to be first. For those who don't know Foursquare, it's uh, it's an application that you use in your iPhone or other um, phones, or you can use in the web. But, but, just but the key you, thing is it's mainly for mobile devices. Yes, yeah, mobile devices to check in to the location you're in. Now I found it useful when I was in a pub one day, checked in. And one of my friends was walking by and walked in and said, ah, I just saw you in Foursquare, thought of a pint with you. I was like, brilliant, good to see you. Um, and it's a great, you know, it's good for stalking, I suppose, as well. Um, but it's great for having people, you know, your friends know where you are because you allow people into it. So it's not like MD can find you. And there's a marketing opportunity as well. Massive marketing opportunity. Start off with coffee shops really saying, you know, if you become the mayor of our coffee shop, we'll Which give you better explain coffee. how you become the mayor of the coffee shop. You become shop. the mayor by checking in more than anybody else, basically. So in any given, and they reset each week. So in yes. any given week, you have one person who's the mayor of that coffee yes. shop. And I'm the mayor of my house, I think, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I've, I, I've been along to a coffee shop where the guy behind the counter, one of his friends, has tipped them off that the person I was with um, was the mayor and they've got the, you know, the photo on Foursquare. So he recognised her and gave her a free croissant, you know. And so, so things like that are, are and kind I, of good I've also said you can put tips in as well. So if you're walking around, um, say, Sydney, then you'll probably find tips only from Frank Sting because he seems to about 8 billion tips out a week that's at Frank Sting on Twitter um, but yeah you get tips from random people there is one bit of warning I will give you if you do put a tip in it cannot be deleted and you may regret putting it in as I witnessed it one other day that basically commented about how someone likes to do something that's all I'm going to say Okay, I don't think you do need to say any more, um, but I think we will be talking about Foursquare a lot more in future weeks. Um, on to more traditional PR, well, um, PR for TV anyway. Now, um, PR man Jodie Hughes was caught out trying to hoax a current affair. I, I made a big mistake, and uh, I am very regretful, and I realised ethically what I did wasn't correct. And that's what I understand and grasp now. 
A public relations man comes clean. A story he arranged was bogus. Are you sorry? I'm very sorry. It's an easy answer. That comes from the heart. Yes. So what went on was he was working for a particular brand. They were trying to create a story all about people coming along to these gold parties where they um, they bring along their unwanted jewellery, uh, maybe after an unfortunate relationship or something, and they, they sell it. So he needed a bunch of angry, bitter, middle-aged women who were willing to slag off their ex-husbands on camera. Funnily enough, he struggled to find them. Um, so he hired a model agency. Um, unfortunately, the emails leaked, and he was busted by the current affairs program that, um, that he was trying to hoax. So it became a, that classic thing of the, um, the, 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 the camera in his face in a car park as he, he admitted his sins. Now, now Scott, it um, would have been a great idea if he got away with it, wouldn't it? Wait, first first time I'm going to just get your journalism and throw out the window with this one. <laughs> he's not a PR man, he's a publicist. There's a massive difference. Well, surely publicist is a subset of PR. It's still a difference between a PR man and a publicist, OK? Max Markson is a publicist. I'm a PR man, OK? I just want to You're a PR man who sometimes looks publicity, though. Occasionally, but there's a difference in careers. So this That's between a, a journalist and a blogger, if you want to get down to semantics on this one. I'd argue again, though. It's possible <laughs> to be both. Anyway, in anyway, this case... In this case, um, you know me, and my, I'm quite an ethical person, uh, and I think that this is absolutely abhorrent to do that. To hire people to try and fill the media is just absolutely disgusting. Surely, though, if you're, no, uh, no, if you're no, a no. brand, you want a PR man that's going to do anything to get you No, you telly. don't. God, no, that's your worst nightmare. And you're shaking your head slightly at that. I completely agree. I think it's absolutely... Um, uh, I can, and it's an atrocity, quite frankly. And again, back to this idea of being authentic and being genuine and having people trust you, which is the basic hallmark of a brand is trust. So if you have somebody like that at the at the PR level doing that kind of stuff, inexcusable. Now, Camille, what he was quite good at, though, was the damage limitation once he was caught. Yeah, he, well, you could say that. He went on um, ACA and Today Tonight and was very heartfelt in his apology. And Said even, he'd made a most big mistake. Even, the even brand, read out promoted some. Promoted the brand, promoted yeah. the brand. Even read out the emails happily, which was a bit odd. Yeah, that was the thing, because that was the bit that made me a little suspicious, was when Today Tonight were doing the story, the voiceover was him reading out the smoking gun emails. But um, I understand what happened with the original current affair confrontation in the car park. Was We didn't know this at the time we wrote it, but I've since found out, was um, that he was caught out by the crew, and he knew mm. all of them. He'd worked with them on previous stories. So there was an existing relationship so I think there was a five or ten minute off-camera negotiation before he came back on camera right. and that would make sense. made clear that he'd made a mistake and that he'd learned his lesson and would, would, would never do it again. Now, still talking PR jargon, I'm not going to read out this whole press release, but this dropped in my email inbox this week. The headline, Orbis Global, a visionary and magic quadrant for marketing resource management 2010. The subheadline, Australian marketing management software provider recognised by leading analysts. And then into the story, Orbis Global, a leading provider of marketing resource management. And by the way, every one of these words is capitalised. Um, <laughs> software today announced its position in the visionary quadrant in Gartner, Inc.'s magic quadrant for marketing resource management. 
and then it lists the year of, of uh, 20101, which is a long time away yet, but we'll put that down as a typo. Um, the report evaluates vendors based on completeness of vision and ability to execute against key marketing resource management criteria. Again, you have to imagine all of those words with capitals. Um, and so it goes on. Um, so we had a bit of fun and we... Um, we just published the yeah we just published the press release as it was and asked our readers for a translation yeah. yes um scott i mean you you you've been both a tech journalist and a tech pr and a normal journalist and as well. a normal a journalist, journalist as well, as well. <laughs> um <laughs> it's a real one <laughs> there are very few normal journalists tech. but um Firstly, was it just that I was the wrong audience and some people that... that, that no, as a, as a tech or? journalist, I'd still find that to be incredibly boring. Secondly, it's a terribly written press release. The intro's too long. There's no backup second paragraph. Your third paragraph, your second paragraph should be the third paragraph, and it's a quote that's far too outrageously long. You know, you're trying to get someone's attention. As a journalist, you're, you're, you know, as well as I, you're getting 20, 30, 40 press releases a day. You need something short, sharp, and snappy that will grab your attention. That makes you want to go to sleep or else throw it in the bin. And I guess you, you have to get messages, and sometimes they're of a highly technical nature. How do you strike the balance? Well, I think um, the original two points that you just made about brevity are critical. And um, I encourage my staff, make it short, make it simple. Uh, we're doing a lot more social media press releases where there are links so people can actually get a lot of the information directly from the source instead of us going on and on about it. Now, Camille, again, good damage limitation, though, in that um, Grant Halloran, the CEO, respond. within about 20 minutes or half an hour, he was joining in the comment stream, putting his hands up and yeah. saying, actually, we're just proud of what we do. And but then he went on to write a whole load of boring crap again. But at least it was understandable. Well, it was, crap. but it was still. He just used as another platform to get the medium to get his message across when he should have just said, "Look, really sorry, hands up. We just want to say one line is what we're doing, and that's it." Instead, he, oh God, I was nearly sleeping again. Okay, well, we move on to other topics in a moment. That's where Anne has to leave us, though. On to other appointments. So, Anne, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Now, here's something you don't see every day, or at all, an ad for Head & Shoulders before the ABC's Australian story. Now, it became quite the saga. I, I guess I should probably explain this one. Um, the ABC uses YouTube um, to promote some of its forthcoming programmes. Um, they're proudly not funded by advertising content, are very, very strict about that one. So... I saw something a bit odd earlier this week when I subscribed to the... <laughs> yeah, looked in the mirror, that's right. But I also subscribed to the um, new on ABC YouTube channel. So when there's a new piece of programme, if you log logged into YouTube, up it comes. And watched a 15-second pre-roll ad mm. for um, Head & Shoulders Shampoo and tried to replay it and replay it a few times. It didn't happen again. And then eventually I kept having another go and another go, refreshing the page. And then I saw an ad for Gillette Fusion, which is another Procter & Gamble brand. Now, YouTube has been experimenting for the last couple of weeks with pre-roll ads. It's still quite a new thing. Mm, yeah. So it wasn't at all clear whether this was something that YouTube had been a bit naughty on or whether for suddenly the ABC takes advertising. I, it's, yeah, I mean, when I first read the story, I was like, ooh, this could be interesting to see somebody's either messed up somewhere or, you know, YouTube are just throwing it out somewhere to try it for just random uh, areas and, you know. Yeah, so it became quite the saga. Um, it then became even more interesting when the ABC issued a statement. So they demanded to know what had happened. 
That's right. So in a quote, uh, the ABC says, um, the ABC has also requested a response from YouTube regarding how an advertisement came to appear on the channel. And obviously in journalistic terms, a request becomes a demand. Yes. Um, so it kind of looked like the ABC was suggesting that Google, who owned YouTube, or YouTube, had been very naughty. Um, it all went then very quiet for the next 24 hours. Neither one of them would sort of return calls on it until um, sort of just early evening time. They both put out releases. It all then went very quiet for the next 24 hours or so. Uh, neither one of them would comment on it until suddenly they both put out statements within a few moments of each other. The ABC one still said, ABC does not run advertising on its new on ABC TV YouTube channel. When it was brought to our attention that a pre-roll ad was featured on this channel, the ABC worked with YouTube to remove it. Meanwhile, YouTube slash Google issued the release pre-rolls of a new ad format which Australian YouTube content partners can opt into. We recently worked with the ABC to correct some account settings relating to where pre-roll ads would show. This has been resolved. Now, so, somebody, I, so somebody clicked the wrong button. Yeah, this is the thing. <laughs> I, I don't think the ABC has actually changed their uh, policy on advertising overnight. I think maybe a uh, web monkey clicked the wrong button. Mm -hmm. Is that what it looks the most likely to From Scott? those releases, that's big. Mm. Google, Google slash YouTube have went, yep, you guys are idiots. You, cl you didn't click this button, and ABC have went, yeah, we don't do ads. We'll unclick that button. <laughs> Okay, let's. So that was a bit of fun, anyway. Let's let's move on to another uh, story that was much uh, much talked about this week. Um, plaudits for Naked Communications and Frank PR, which are both photon agencies this week, as they picked up four awards at AMIA, the Australian Interactive Media Industry Association. Did that for memory at the AMIA Awards um, from their for their joint Ask Richard campaign, which was for FBI Radio. Now. The, the idea in a nutshell was to get their listeners and other people to ask Richard Branson, billionaire Richard Branson, to bail them out. It's got a good campaign? Yeah, great campaign. Fantastic. Um, I've got a lot of time for, um, for Frank PR. Uh, I think they're a good agency. M&M, as I call them, led by Miff McGregor and 2IC Mike Morris. <laughs> um, no, their stuff's great. I mean, they've, they've, they've come on in leaps and bounds in the agency since uh, Miff you know, set it up over here. Um, and, yeah, great, great stuff. I mean, and I think that... In the next year, you're going to see a lot more from them. Um, I think they're going to be one of the big challengers to One Green Bean. Now, there was also some suspicion as well, which was this question of one of the bits of the PR stunt was uh, Richard Branson claiming that a woman swam to Necker Island, which is his island out in the Caribbean or wherever it is, to ask him to support and sponsor the campaign. Um, Camille, would that sound suspicious as a story to you? Yes, yeah, slightly. I think um, alarm bells may be ringing at that stage. Yeah, so um, that was certainly one of the much debated things in our comment stream. Was, this was Richard the, Branson, though, you know. Yeah, was the story... <laughs> you know, and I, Anything's possible. Yeah, yeah. and the, 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 the debate was kind of around whether Richard Branson made it up or, yeah. um, or the... I don't know how far the island is from the land. It could be like... 50 metres. Long, yeah, long, <laughs> long, far enough, I think. But, um, but yeah, so that that was one of the debates was, you know, and almost does it, if Richard Branson joined in and embellished the story a bit, does it matter? Oh, it says choice to embellish it, it says brand. Okay, fine. And to be honest, he does crazy stuff anyway, so you, to be honest, you wouldn't expect it not to happen to him. Now, finally, we take a look at the TV ratings, and at last, you can go online to complain about your free-to-air TV program. So I guess, um, yeah, let's talk uh, complaints first. Um, Camille, 
I yes. guess we're probably going to see yeah. more complaints as a result. Well, you would think so. Having an extra avenue. So previously it was via uh, post, snail mail or fax. Now you can just go online on the free TV website and it's quite straightforward, fill in the details. Have you, have you done a complaint yet? Not yourself? yet, but I'm dying to do one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for something that I, and it needs to be legitimate. It's just, uh, not just uh, for the heck of it, really. Oh, so you can't just complain that it's all crap. <laughs> well, go for it, go for it, Scott. Yeah, I think you need to find a specific um, okay. breach of the code, a potential breach of the code. So, but, but certainly I imagine what we'll see is as soon as a program offends, which they do from time to time, I'm sure we'll see the first Twitter campaign to here is the complaints form and then we'll see, we'll see yeah, how the numbers are. Um, interesting ratings week, um, Camille. Um, mm. Rare um, win one night this week for 10 had the biggest program of the night, which was... Uh, yeah, well, look, NCIS, their uh, US uh, crime show, it, it does usually rate quite well anyway for 10. Um, and so it had a really good Tuesday ratings results. It was NCIS was the most the highest rating show for the day for the whole I, Tuesday. I actually gobsmacked by that. Oh, I love it. I well, used to I, watch look, it religiously. I watched the first to. season. Mark Harmon, great actor and stuff. But I just no, gobsmacked that that's the, no. the, the the choice of program. No, look, I'm sorry. I'd rather see NCIS than no, Today no. Tonight. Oh no, as I agree. One. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, which, which, which does happen a little too often <laughs> in this country. Um, I think I think the attraction to it is basically it's it's everyone loves crime shows, but it has a sense of humour. It doesn't take itself too seriously. But it was a good ratings result for Ten as well because it was a day after um, ABC One beat spank them. Channel Ten, the main channel. Yeah, spanked them and got um, came in third ahead of 10 in the ratings. It was about uh, ABC One... 16.3% ahead of 10 is 15.2. Yeah, and it's funny, isn't it, with 10? I mean, they certainly they, they very much do go after the younger demographic. And if you look at the sort of 1639s, they tend to, um, they, they, they do tend to rate much better. Yeah. There. Well, the thing is, it's actually interesting. Um, even though NCIS was the highest rating show overall for uh, Tuesday, it wasn't the highest rating among 1639s or the other 18 to 49s age group. That actually went to a Channel 7 and a Channel 9 show. My Kitchen Rules is doing really well among 16 to 39 shows, which is Channel 7, the rival to Channel 10's MasterChef, and Top Gear, which got in about 1.3. Channel million, 9's new signing. Channel 9, another big uh, show for Channel 9, is, was number one among 18 to 49-year-olds, so again, ahead of NCIS. So it seems as though the younger viewers are going for the big shows on 7 and 9, such as My Kitchen Rules and Top Gear, whereas NCIS is actually attracting older viewers for Channel 10, which is skewed younger. So Wednesday night um, is tends to be one of the night for youth on the ABC. They have things like... Hung, I said youth. Yeah, I spelled it with an youth. F. I thought that, yeah. Yeah, Y-O-O-F is the correct spelling, I think you'll find. So uh, Hungry Beast did quite well, which is the Andrew Denton thing um, on the ABC. Spicks and Specs always wins the night for the youngsters. Yep. Um, and it was interesting that... Um, uh, tended quite well as well because you, you could have seen the, the audience sort of separating out a bit. So you, you do get the feeling, um, Camille, that at the very least 10 are hanging on to their younger audiences. I know, absolutely. By no means are they not doing well at all. I mean, their shows are still quite strong. Um, and when you look at The Biggest Loser, for example, that's still strong. And so you think you can dance. It's still rating well for 16 to 39 year olds. Um, so. They're continuing on with their skew. Um, I looked at the, the top 15 um, on Tuesday night's day, and the Rivers with Griff Rees-Jones came in at 800,000 viewers, which 
which actually just shocked me there. I just, uh, too many or too few? No, it kind of made me a little bit happy that somewhere out there in Australia there's a bunch of people watching some good stuff. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing, isn't it? When you look, you know, and you almost need the kind of leveller when you look at ABC and even worse, SBS ratings. Yes, yeah. and um, that's on ABC. That's 800,000 on yeah. ABC. That's great. Yeah, which, you know, that's a, that, that, that's a pretty strong audience for the ABC. Anyway, that's, um, we're out of time. That's it for now. Thanks to my co-hosts, Camille Alicorn of Mumbrella. Thank you. And Scott Rohde of House Party PR. Thanks, Tim. And also to Anne Lunas, who was in with us earlier uh, from Adobe. Um, thank you also to CBS Interactive for use of their studio. Production was by Georgina Pearson. That was the Mumbrella Podcast. I'm Tim Burrows. Toodle pip.